Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to the first show of Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and I'm proud to be here with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry. A little about myself, I've been a speech and language pathologist who's worked in over 40 skilled nursing facilities and came to that space after helping my mom care for her mother in a small nursing home a few blocks from our house when I was just 15 years old. I've written a couple of books on the subject because I feel it's important for people to have information so they can make more informed decisions for their loved ones, and let's face it, ultimately it will be ourselves. So um, I'd love to introduce Rubina now to say a few words about herself and to introduce our first guest. Rubina? Thank you, Phyllis. Again, welcome everybody to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. My name is Rubina Chaudhry. I'm uh, president of Mars Services, an engineering consulting firm, and I'm also president and founder of Olive Community Services. Olive Community Services is uh, is a, a nonprofit, 501c3, based in California, and our mission is to provide culturally appropriate senior support services. Uh, for seniors, their families, and their community. And my passion for seniors and senior support services stems from my personal experience. I'm an only child. My parents are 91 years old, living in Canada, over 1,000 miles away from me. And I address the issues that caregivers face every single day. And I'm very passionate and about senior support services, and I'm honored to meet Phyllis and to join hands with her, with her as uh, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. So with that brief introduction, we are truly, Phyllis and I are truly honored to invite our first guest, to welcome our first guest, Paul Irving, and his resume just overwhelms me. Paul is chairman of the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging, chairman of the board of Encore.org, and distinguished scholar in scholar in residence at the University of Southern California, Leonard Davis School of Gerontology. If that's not enough, he is the author. <laughs> he's the author of the upside of aging, how long life, how long life is changing the world of health, work, innovation, policy, and purpose. A Wall Street Journal expert panelist, a contributor to the Huffington Post, PBS Next Avenue, and many, many other. Uh, publications. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? It goes <laughs> on and on and on. And uh, and Paul, my first question to you is, what does old mean to you? What does aging mean to you? And welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Phyllis and Rubina, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, so, so your first question is, is a hard one. What, is, what does old mean? Well, old means uh, different things to, to different people, and let me give you just some, some perspective on it. Um, the age at which we can all join, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proud member of AARP, is, is 50, and we have more centenarians than we've ever had in the history of, of humankind. Um, eight, eight, older people are, are incredibly different and incredibly diverse. And the notion, by the way, that people who might be 50 years uh, different uh, between that 50 and 100 uh, uh, span uh, would have the same interests, concerns, uh, challenges, et, et, et cetera, would be kind of a, an, an inappropriate generalization about who they are. By the way, I'll also say that some people, some people might, might uh, argue that chronological age these days is really meaningless with what we know in the wake of the 
the coding of the human genome is is uh, the incredible distinctions am- among people based on their personal biology, all of their physical characteristics, both as a result of, of nature and nurture. So in many respects, what we can say is is our age is really reflective of how we're how how we're aging, whether we're aging with with good health, uh, whether we're aging with engagement, whether we're aging with op- with opportunity or or not. So, so I guess the answer to your first question is I'm not sure what what old really really means, uh, but I can tell you this: it hap- it's happening to all of us, at least if we're lucky. When you say that, um, you know, we all think that the population is getting older. You know, uh, the age of the older population over the age of 65, I think it's said by 2035, will outnumber the under 18 population. But um, how has life expectancy really changed over the decades? And is it really the same for? people living in different areas of our society and different kinds of communities around the country. Yeah. So um, if, if, we, if we think about this in the, in the kind of in the longer term over the course of, of human history, we've, we've experienced just unprecedented increases in average longevity over the last 150 years or so, Phyllis, as a result of, of um, enhancements in medicine and sanitation and, and safety. Uh, average lifespans have just about doubled across the world. Um, and so more and more people are living lives that their ancestors couldn't have possibly imagined, and therefore we're, we're challenged with kind of reinventing what life, what life looks like. And just to put some perspective on it from in terms of, of American uh, longevity, when uh, Social Security was was enacted in the mid-30s, average average lifespans in the United States were about 61 and a half years or, or so. Uh, today, uh, around 80, uh, slightly longer for women than, than, than for men. But many people now talk about the 100-year life as something that is achievable for, for many as a result, again, uh, of, of increasing um, knowledge in, in, in medicine and various other things. But I think you, the second part of your question is really, in many ways, the more important part of your question, and that is, is everyone in, enjoying this blessing of, of additional years, this longevity dividend? And the answer is absolutely not. In, in fact, in the United States, tragically, in the last three years, average longevity has actually gone down uh, as a result of uh, historically high levels of, of obesity and gun violence and suicide and um, and, um, and and opioid abuse. So uh, what what we recognize is that we have an incredible longevity disparity. You know, uh, in our political. Uh, conversation these days is a lot of conversation about income inequality, but you don't hear very much conversation about longevity inequality, which is just as dramatic and in many ways, I think more tragic because what's the, what's the single most valuable thing we have, we have in our lives? And, and I guess I would argue that the single most valuable thing we have is time. And so this, this notion that we have an, an injustice and inequity based on a series of social de- de- determinants on, on where we live, on access to health and transportation and housing, on job opportunity and safety uh, and, and various other things, including things like smoking rates and, and, and access to nutritious food. Um, the distinctions are really dramatic and they're growing. And that, by the way, makes, makes the U.S. Um, an outlier relative to our, to our peer countries, other developed countries around the world that are not experiencing uh, this increasing disparity. And I think, and I'll leave it with this, I mean, I think it, it's one of the things that, that really raises the question, what are our national values when it comes to spreading the, the blessings and the opportunities of the American dream uh, and, and the, the potential for not only longer lives but better lives not just for those of us who are affluent and live in coastal blue state states and in uh, in vibrant cities, but to but to all Americans. 
question would be really, which was that science has done its part in helping people live longer, but our institutions, society, you know, businesses, communities really haven't necessarily kept up with that pace. Um, you know, what, what do you think we can do to change that? I agree with your observation. I think I think science and and medicine have very much done their part and continue to do their part in in both uh, increasing longevity and increasing at least the prospect for for health span, which is the time the time uh, uh, that we that we not only live but that we live in in reasonably good health. And and it's, sadly, there's a fair fair amount of disparity between between a lifespan and health span today in the, in the U.S. So, so we have these longer lives, and I talked about the reality that over the last 150 years or so, average lifespans have just, have just about doubled. Um, sometimes I say that science has done its part, and social, social science has, has failed. We have these additional years, and I think in many ways we still don't know what to do with them. Uh, mm. we, haven't really changed, we haven't really changed retirement norms. Um, we still kind of think of, of of our lives in this way, you know. If you think about it, kind of education, early life, and then coupling and kids and work. But then maybe around fifty or in one's mid fifties or so, this kind of long, inexorable decline begins that ends in in in, in death. Well, you know, when average lifespans were sixty. Uh, at least, arguably, that made made some sense, but it, it makes no sense t- today. I mean, the notion that we might spend twenty or thirty or forty years in re- in retirement, uh, not being productive, uh, not not being actively engaged, uh, oftentimes living in age segregated communities. Um, I think all of us really need to have a, a conversation. I mean, this should be part of, I think, a conversation around every dinner table in in America about what those additional years should look like to make them uh, joyful and meaningful and purposeful and, and, and productive. Um, it's, a, it's a real challenge, and I think, I think really a conversation that's just beginning. That, that is very, very nice, uh, Paul, because that's exactly where we would like to take the, take the conversation next. And we're coming up to our first break. And after that, perhaps we can uh, we can look at some ways that people can ensure a productive quality life in uh, in their uh, uh, in their older years. And what are some of the uh, trends that are emerging in that uh, in that environment? I think also that um, it will be it will be good to talk about you know intergenerational kinds of involvements that will help attitudes towards older people change. Uh, maybe, Paul, when we come back, we'll have some ideas about that. I know that's a, that's a lot, there's a lot going on in that area right now in, in many different, um, you know, facilities, institutions, businesses. I think it's something important that we could address. So that's I guess we'll take up. I look, I look forward to it. Great. So I guess we'll um, we'll be taking our first break now, and we'll um, see you back here soon to continue the conversation on the future of aging on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. 
Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. We're here with Paul Irving talking about the future of aging. And we left it off um, with the idea that, um, you know, how are we going to tell people to become more engaged, to be more productive, um, talk about intergenerational programming. And I know you have a lot of information about that, Paul, that our listeners would love to hear. Sure. Well, look, uh, I think you know... You know, Phyllis, that um, in addition to, to my work at the Milken Institute, I also uh, chair chair the board of Encore.org, and Encore's entire purpose is is focused on on deploying older adults, engaging older adults, prin- principally in the support of of younger people, in, in connecting the generations, and frankly, in bridging what's become an incredibly age segregated society in in, in America, and in frankly, in much of the world. So, uh, you know, we used to live in multi-generational homes. Uh, we, we, uh, we were participants in multi-general, uh, multi-generational neighborhoods, and that was, that was the, the norm. And I think increasingly, as a result of a whole series of things, some cultural, some physical, we've become disconnected from, from other generations. And I think that's increased suspicion to some extent, you know, uh, the, the kinds of divides that lead to, to political disagreement and, ver- and various other things. And, and, and the point is that bringing the, the generations together is not just good for one, it's, it's good for both. By the way, there are lots of, of programs that, that uh, are evidence of, of this run by, by nonprofits and even by an agency of the federal government, the Corporation on National Community Service, which has a, uh, two programs, one called Senior Corps, one called Foster, Foster Grandparents. The research on these things shows two things. Uh, one that probably would come as no surprise, the other would come potentially as a significant surprise. The one that comes as no surprise is when older adults volunteer and help kids uh, in reading programs and men- mentorship and a- in athletics and various other things. You can imagine that that has benefits for the beneficiaries of, of that volunteering, that the young people benefit from from the connection with, with their older mentors. But what might come as a surprise is, is there, there are incredible health benefits that have been documented. And this is, by the way, uh, research by really important uh, research institutions like, like Johns Hopkins, Columbia, and various other, various other institutions that demonstrate that not only are these, are these connections good for young people, but they actually improve the cardiovascular health, pulmonary health, and even brain health of the of the older volunteers. So the point is is doing good, connecting with young people is not just good good for them, it's it's good for, for you too. And it's something that it, every doctor should probably be asking about during annual exams. That's true by the way in, in workplaces too. Um, what what we know increasingly is that is that diverse teams 
uh, in workplaces, diverse age teams actually outperform same age teams of, of any age. So, so we we think a lot in the employment world about about diversity and inclusion initiatives that are focused on gender and race and sexuality and ethnicity and various other characteristics, but. We are just beginning a process of thinking that age is part of the diversity matrix, and I think what we're going to see in years to come is those firms that are able to marshal the talents and skills of both young and old people are those that will be, frankly, most competitive, most effective, and that will outperform. So that's at least some perspective about 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 intergenerational uh, benefits, and obviously there there are many community and uh, and other benefits that we could talk about as well. Um, not to get political in this in this program or um, or have a political discussion, but what are the political ramifications of that? Because you know traditionally you you're working in a, a particular job, and sixty five is the age of retirement. So how is that going to um, be mitigated with this you know other idea of intergenerational workplaces, an intergenerational workforce? you know you're, you're talking to somebody who believes that that uh, kind of fixed retirement ages or fixed retirement expectations are ridiculous. I mean we you know, kind of harken back to your first question, what is old? <clears throat> you know, we know that there are 75-year-olds and 80-year-olds who are cognitively sharp, uh, incredibly creative, uh, potent, and, and, and very successful uh, workers and employees. And we know there are people in their 30, 30s and 40s who, who are ineffective. So the notion that chronological age should be uh, either a measure or an impediment in in some way to what somebody can can produce is just ridiculous. You should measure people based on who they are. And and by the way, uh, substitute uh, kind of Phyllis when you think about that question, substitute any other class of, of, of people. If if you if you kind of said that that. Uh, there would be limitations on people because of gender, race, et, or, et, et cetera. People would say that's utterly ridiculous at, at this point in our in our evolution, and we should be just as advanced when it comes to when it comes to age. Um, I mean, the other thing I would just point out, and I kind of alluded to it before, is is that by connecting with people who aren't like you, right? Again. This is no different when you think of other forms of diversity. It's true. It's true across age gaps as well. By connecting with, working with, collaborating with people who are who are of a different age, you get to understand them. Uh, the barriers and expectations and and, bi- and biases begin to drop. You begin to see people for who they are, not what they look like. You know. And and um, and older people shouldn't uh, shouldn't be judged based on on wrinkles or hair loss. And I, I could reference myself when I when I talk about the latter. Uh, they should be be judged based on on what they can do. As by the way, should young people. So so the point is is this is just another uh, form of of diversity. And I think increasingly businesses across the world have recognized that diverse workforces. Are more effective workforces. They bring they bring fresh perspectives. They bring up a, a, a more whole view of challenges and opportunities. And again, uh, older people should be very much a part of that of that formula. Does that make sense? In a conversation uh, that said that the happy birthday song is like a 20th century invention and that before that people were ju- their age was judged by their health and fitness was it you who told me that hey, that may have been you know it sounds like something that my friend Mark Friedman who runs uh, encore.org uh, uh, says I, I know I know commonly but that that's true uh, before before the 20th century age and again uh, Average longevity was 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 much shorter, but but age was just much less uh, a factor than 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 you know what became the case in the in the in the 20th century. There are lots of reasonable explanations about why that occurred. Uh, you know, uh, broadly available public ed- public education in, in in certain areas, child labor laws that obviously created not only disincentives but prohibitions on on very young people and, and older people working together, et, et cetera. But that kind of has evolved into 
living situations and working situations in which were unnecessarily segregated, and I think irrationally segregated, and and, and in the same sense that that other kinds of segregation, whether whether intentional or unintentional, the fact that or de jure, uh, have have uh, have created. Um, impediments to to progress, and frankly, I think in some respects, impediments to the, the advancement of society. The the age segregation, um, in in many ways, uh, does does the same thing. So, you know, a lot of us in this in this field and who are focused on these challenges are interested in a whole range of solutions to try to bring people together. Uh, Co housing ar- arrangements, uh, transit. Uh, transit uh, related related housing that are that that's multi generational again uh, multi generational work workforces uh, and um, and and frankly educational inst- institutions um, I advocate a lot for uh, opening academic institutions to to older students and to encouraging lifelong learning and I think I think frankly classrooms would be uh, Richer, more successful, and the experience of both young and old would be more meaningful if you had more age diversity in, in classrooms and in, in colleges and universities of all of all types. So, um, so I think um, there's there's something to be said for people bumping around with each other, and I think uh, getting getting young and old to bump around with each other is likely to lead to very good results. You having a uh, intergenerational program at yes, Olive are. Community Services soon, and it's like a grandparents' day. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Definitely, uh, Paul. Just along the same lines, we are having yesterday, eighth uh, of. Uh, September was the National Grandparents Day. But in Olive, we are having an event on September 29th in uh, the Stanton Central Park in Southern California, where we are inviting the whole families. It's a, a picnic event from 11.30 to 4.30. But our focus is honoring and centering the event on the grandparents versus, you know, arranging a picnic for the family and the children. Here, family and children are celebrating the grandparents. And we're hoping that it will become an annual event. And uh, you're all invited. (laughs) Actually, I am coming, aren't I? Oh, no, I'm not coming to that one. No, no, but hey, you just said you are, so you are. (laughs) (laughs) You're coming in December, but you will also come in (laughs) September. Paul, she just said she's coming, right? Right, I did say that. I think you're stuck, Phyllis. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And Paul, you're at USC, just a stone's throw away. Are you in town on September 29th? You'll uh, be my guest. Uh, I, 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 have, I have to look. As you know, I'm 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 actually heading off to Asia at the end at the end of this week for for talks on aging in Asia. So um, uh, the, my my end of September cal- calendar is is ahead of me. Definitely. You know, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, Paul just mentioned Asia and certainly in other countries around the world, you know, um, people who are older are venerated and um, respected and valued in a far greater way. But I think that it's changing as well. Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, you're you're certainly right uh, that that there are traditions in in Asia gen- generally that um, that have not only encouraged things things like um, multi generational living and 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 again, as you say, veneration of older adults, but some of that has changed, frankly, over the last several decades. Uh, a product of lots of changes, technological changes, the urbanization of of communities in Asia, as as is the case in in much of the world, uh, in China, the one child the one child policy, um, mm-hmm. oftentimes in in rural areas in China, and of course the China Chinese rural population is 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 mass massive. The kinds of opportunities don't exist that might exist in cities on the coast. So young people are moving to to major cities, and they they end up going home on Chinese New Year to to. Uh, checking on mom and dad, but but uh, but it's certainly not like it was when uh, these communities were uh, he- heavily focused on on agriculture, and again when families when families and neighborhoods 
uh, stuck together. By the way, not entirely dissimilar from what you're experiencing in in, the, in rural America, where where oftentimes in smaller and smaller cities and towns, and particularly in rural uh, communities, you you know kind of a population hollowing out and young people moving away to cities for opportunity and different living. Uh, circumstances and parents and older folks uh, left aging alone. So, you know, it's one of these things that we have to focus on from a policy perspective. How do we make sure that uh, older people are getting attention and care as as they age and, and again, that we create uh, opportunities for both young and old to flourish together? You say that because I actually did research about that when I was writing my first book and and found those changes are happening. And I believe it was in China where there's a law now that you have to visit your parents uh, during a, a vacation or you have to support them in some way because you know, a lot of the parents are living in these very rural areas and um, the the kids are more technology focused and in the city and they have busy lives, as just as you say. And it is becoming more of an issue. As a matter of fact, um, I believe there's a, a rise or a tendency to have to develop nursing homes in, in China as well as in other countries where it never was before. So it is a, certainly a, a worldwide issue. And I guess lastly, because we have about four minutes, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, our attitudes about ageism, which is discrimination against older people, what impact that has um, on society, but also on the older person themselves. Um, sure. And, and by the way, Phil, just one last comment on, on Asia generally. So Asia, Asia has the has the largest population in the world. It also has the largest population of, of older adults of the world. Uh, Japan is the first ultra-age society mm-hmm. in, in, in the world. Korea, Korea has a population that's aging incredibly rapidly, as does China and much, much of South Asia. So it's an interesting kind of lab where... Um, in some respects, the canary in the coal mine, in the coal mine uh, for all of us, particularly in the United States, which is aged somewhat slower, but is is catching up uh, for all of us to 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 watch. So ageism ageism is is uh, certainly not just an American problem. It's a it's a global problem, and ageism is is um, it's negative age bias. It's it's a it's a, a belief that somehow. Because of our physical changes, simply because of our years, we have become less. Our values become diminished. Our 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 sense of self worth is is negative negatively impacted, et cetera. And all of us are affected by these cultural overlays that have been going on a long a long time. And and very honestly, I personally believe that that ageism is is the most important. A challenge for all of us to tackle who are interested in improving the lives of older adults, not just this generation of older adults, but generations to come, because because those ageist expectations are the things that that create difficulties in finding work and in being re reemployed if if one wants to continue to work, to work in in a new job. They they uh, they encourage this age segregation that we've talked about. <clears throat> they they affect the treatment of older people in in health envi- environments, in uh, in entertainment. You know um, how how older people are portrayed, oftentimes as, as bumbling or or, or silly. Yes. You know, wait, Paul, I hate to interrupt. I hate to interrupt. We only have thirty seconds, though. And so, is there a way for people to get in touch with you or the Milken Institute and any other suggestions that you might have in the last few seconds? I was sorry to interrupt. We'll maybe have to have you back to continue this conversation. No, no worries, Phyllis. So, so uh, our, my my research. I mean, if you just if you look up, uh, I'm, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and I'm on. Uh, uh, t- Twitter, but if you look up uh, the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging, you'll find the research that we work on, and I, I write regularly, as, as you say, for the Wall Street Journal and uh, and various other publications. So, um, so I'm I'm out there. I'm out there speaking. I think you know the last thing I'd leave you with is just is just look. It, older adults are our only growing natural resource. Uh, this is the characteristic, unlike unlike any other that we that we all share, and we we all have a stake in improving lives for older adults and ensuring that uh, 
uh, aging becomes a, a beautiful thing, not a burden. I agree. Well, Thank this you. has just been great. Thanks so much, Paul. And um, any parting words, Rubina? Well, we hope that people will look up Paul's research and join in to uh, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy for our future programs as we explore and uh, expand on the, the topics that we hit on today. Uh, thank you very much. And we go to break. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. You're tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to the Future of Aging on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Rubina is going to introduce our next guest. Uh, Thank you, Phyllis. Our next guest is Hugo Gerstel. Hugo is an accomplished attorney, author, record producer, world traveler, and a retired captain from U.S. Air Force Judge Advocate Corps. His accomplishments are numerous and not enough time here to mention, so let's welcome Hugo for a conversation. Hugo, thank you for joining us. What does aging mean to you? Uh, Aging, what is that? That is something that I'm not, because instead of being 78, I invariably say I'm 60, 18. And aging is a state of mind, hopefully a state of mind that most of us can never achieve because there's always going to be something new to be done, a new hill to climb, a new challenge to conquer. Uh, that's really, that's such a great attitude. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wonder about how you developed that attitude, where that attitude came from, when did it start? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely, Phyllis. Uh, my parents came over from uh, Nazi Austria. In fact, they have a passport that says Vienna, Germany. Uh, they were not the kind that were liked. They were Jewish, and they came over with nothing in their pocket. We never had a lot of money growing up, but we had a lot of love. And the three kids were always told, you are as good as or better than anyone else. Don't ever sell yourself short. 
and we didn't. Uh, that's, I'm sure that contributed to, you know, the life you've led as a professional and um, in your avocation as a, as a writer. I understand you've written several books. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Well, absolutely. In fact, uh, just before I came into the studio <clears throat> this afternoon, uh, I was doing some of the final edits on my next book that's coming out, The Death Master, mm-hmm. which actually is a fascinating true story, although I put it in novel form, of <clears throat> the state of Israel bringing a criminal libel action against the 72-year-old pensioner who had dared to renew his very small newspaper uh, profession by accusing one of Israel's trade ministers of being complicit in the murder of 800,000 Jews when he was the chairman of the Hungarian Jewish Rescue Committee. Mm. The trial was expected to go one day, it went 14 months. Wow. And at the time, it, and when it finished, Israel would never be the same again. I'm not going to give away what happened, but that's a great one. The next one is going to be called The Good Brother, which is about someone who was able to save more Jews during World War II than Schindler, a famous Schindler's List, or even Wallenberg simply by affixing his signature. His signature was Goering, and he was Hermann Goering's younger brother. Wow. So it sounds to me like, um, you know, when people hear the word retire, they probably don't think of people continuing to write books, or I understand you're a trial lawyer, and you're continuing in your profession as well. So... What do you contribute your idea about continuing to, you know, be vibrant and productive? Um, you know, what, what you're thinking about that? I know you and I had a, a discussion uh, the other day, and you said something interesting about your idea of what a job or work is. Um, I thought it was quite interesting. Maybe you want to share a little bit about that. Well, you know what? If you enjoy what you're doing, it is not a job. It is a pleasure. If you realize that whatever you do, you can help a great number of people, you can help them get over fear, you can hold their hand when they're going through difficult times, and so many ways by taking yourself out of yourself and putting yourself in the position of doing good for others, you're paid back many, many times. And one of the ways you're paid back is we found eternal youth. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I talk a lot when I speak or write about empathy and putting yourself in somebody else's position. Um, You know, my mother used to have an expression. um, Well, she used the word God, but it doesn't have to be a belief in God, really. Um, You could substitute any word if you'd like, but it was there but for the grace of God go I. Uh, You know, to see yourself in anybody's situation um, because circumstances could be different for you and it could be quite different and therefore you should have a caring heart about somebody else's circumstance because... You never know what can happen to you. And I understand that you're a three-time cancer survivor. And so um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe how that affected your attitude towards life or which came first kind of thing, the chicken well, or the egg? you know what? It is a chicken or the egg, and Phyllis, you're very wise to suggest that. Uh, I did have three bouts of Merkel cell cancer, which is a particularly rare and very deadly form of cancer. Uh, I've had them come back in seven-year intervals three times, which is more or less unheard of. But again, uh, the attitude is part of the cure. And the fact is that your attitude in anything can make anything bad or anything good. In this event... Shall I say I was not frightened? Of course I can't say that. 
everybody is frightened when they hear a diagnosis like that. Once you get over the shock and you think, why me, why did this happen to me, and you undergo surgery or whatever, then you start thinking to yourself, well, why can I not beat this thing? And you do. Attitude can be 90% of the cure. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. But, you know, sometimes it's not so easy for certain people because of their circumstances or situations they find themselves in or even their past. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done. What suggestions would you have for people who may be listening and saying, well, you know, that, that sounds easy, but it's, it's really not, and how do I go about getting there? All right, Phyllis, we are all given challenges in our life. There isn't a human being who doesn't wake up every morning thinking about, well, will my spouse still love me? Will I have enough money to make it through the week, the year, whatever? Oh, darn, the car broke down. That's going to be money I don't have. <laughs> my, my children uh, are doing this, that, the other that I don't agree, agree with. But you know what? We face them, and we just keep walking one step at a time, and slowly but surely, and sometimes more quickly, we surmount these difficulties, and to me, the purpose of life is getting over fear. Hmm, that's very interesting. Um, I guess we all, you're right, we all face situations that, that are fearful, in, you know, that we feel inside. Um, but it isn't so easy sometimes. And, um, you know, I would say to people sometimes if you need help doing that or, uh, you know, seek out someone who has experienced something and gotten to the other side, that can be helpful. I hope people listening to this who may be facing some of those challenges or identify with this situation can, you know, think about what you've said and, and maybe it will help them in some way. Um, you know, I also wanted to ask you about how you think, you know, you are a trial lawyer, you are a writer, you're a world traveler, and, you know, not everybody has those passions um, or those outlets. You know, do you have suggestions for people who want to remain active or engaged but just don't know where to start or what to do? Uh, you know, maybe they've quote-unquote, retired? That's a whole other question I wanted to ask you. But do you have any suggestions to people about how they can become more engaged? Absolutely, Phyllis. One way is by listening to this program and finding out that there are people out there like you who are elder care advocates, who are looking toward the future to making this a better place you can continue to make the world a better place at any age. You can volunteer, and you'd be surprised how much joy and pleasure you can get out of volunteering, knowing that you're not being put out to pasture, that you're useful, that you're wanted, that you're needed, that you're appreciated. An no, example, I agree with you 100%. You know, there's a program... Um, known as SCORE, which really helps people who, um, gives them an opportunity, I should say, people who have retired, um, if we you want to use that word, and, um, you know, as a way to give back, to mentor, to share their knowledge, experience, their wisdom, because I, I think that the wisdom of our older people is one of our most valuable resources. SCORE being the Service Corps of Retired Executives, and uh, they certainly learn one of my favorite sayings, old age and treachery will defeat youth and vigor every time. We've been there. We've done that. We've got the bloody T-shirt to prove it. And by golly, we're going to kick back and kick forward. I agree, you know, <laughs> I've traveled that road many times over, right? And, um, you know, isn't that why they say um, youth is wasted on the young kind of thing? Because, um, you know, 
you, you maybe your body isn't as, as strong as it was or not as capable as it was, or maybe you do have a few ailments, but you have this rich body of experience that and wisdom that you've gained from this experience, and sometimes physically you can't really pursue it to the same degree you would have when you were in your younger years, right? Phyllis, you're so right, and I use your last name when I say amen to that. <laughs> so, you know, just briefly, we're getting towards the end of, as, of our time, but, you know, so I wanted to ask you this one quick question, which is about retiring, because we do have this idea that people should retire at the age of 65. And I, somebody said something to me a while back, and I loved it. He said, um, he's not retired, he's refired. And that seems, you seem to be really living that. And, um, you know, I, I think people could they maybe have a job that they've been in a job, you know, for most of their life, and they think of, well, they don't want to do that job anymore. They're going to have the opportunity to retire, but what else could they do? So I love some of your suggestions about volunteering and, um, I, and their score. And, you know, I have this idea that there are over a million people living in nursing homes in our country. Many of them do not have family or friends or anyone who cares for them. And it would be so simple for people to kind of, I'll I'll just say, I don't mean like adopt, but become a volunteer either in a hospital or in a nursing home and visit people and you could bring such joy to them. You're 100% correct. And it is so, so appreciated because for some reason, We tend, when somebody is old and can no longer do us any good, they tend to disappear from our lives. I had, for example, for many years, I played piano at a home for the aged, and it was amazing how they loved it. You could see the youth come back into their eyes as they heard the old songs, as they laughed at the old jokes They've heard hundreds of times before, but just that human touch, that human caring. And you know something? By caring for others, you benefit yourself so much more. Oh, absolutely. So this has really just been a total pleasure. you know, I want to thank our guest today, Paul Irving, the chairman of the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging, and Hugo Gerstel for this wonderful time together. Uh, Rubina and I are looking forward to you joining us next week on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy as we continue to explore relevant topics related, related to our elder citizens, their families, and the community at large. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.